0: Hi, I'm Talisa, and I'm Rachel, and this is Transatlantic Crime, a true crime podcast that covers stories from each side of the pond. Every week, we will both cover a separate story with a running theme.
1: Disclaimer, this podcast will contain swearing and details that some people may find offensive. If you are of a sensitive disposition, listener discretion is advised.
0: Welcome, Welcome to, to Transatlantic Trans- Trans- Crime.
1: Same <laughs> Hello. Hi.
0: Hi, Talissa. Welcome to episode thirty-one.
1: Well, welcome to you. <laughs> <laughs> I think I may have told you this, but if I told it on the podcast before, then stop me. But I remember I once I started a job and like the CEO of the company like shook my hand and said, Welcome, and I went, Welcome. <laughs> he was like <laughs> he was like, i already work here. I was like, you know what? The classy thing to do would have been to ignore it. <laughs> I wanted to die. <laughs>
0: I've definitely been there before yeah you say like nice to meet you and then they say nice to meet you and then you're like nice to meet you too
1: (laughs) I've also had it where I said to my cousin and I think she was drunk I was like happy birthday she was like happy birthday I was like no it's your birthday (laughs) I just like ignored it though which is what you should do don't make
0: people feel bad. I always think it's funny when I worked at the police uniforms shop, the police used to call in all the time to see if their orders were ready or whatever. And there was this one yeah. guy, he was like head of department, like super tough guy. And he called one of the salespeople and he was like in a hurry. And you could tell that he was in a hurry and he wasn't really paying attention. But he went, Love you, bye. <laughs> That's so good. To the salesperson, and then she just came out and told everyone, Okay, love you, bye. (laughs) Yeah, love you, bye. Like, from the toughest police officer.
1: You love me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, me and my dad kind of do that for a joke. We're like, Okay, love you, bye. (laughs) Like, as fast as you can. (laughs) Yeah. So, I actually saved a bit of news to tell you. Yes. So, Obviously, we have patrons, Patreons, patrons, yeah. whatever you call them.
0: Yes. Lovely, lovely.
1: Lovely people. And I wanted to become one for someone else. So, you know, I sent that really embarrassing message to Josh Hallmark from oh, True yeah. Crime Bullshit. Yes, <laughs> Like I was drunk and I read it back and it didn't make any sense. <laughs> well, like I became a Patreon and um, when you become a Patreon, you, so you get like a private feed of podcasts that doesn't have the adverts on which mm. is worth it like in itself because yeah. his podcast is so atmospheric and creepy yes but when you get like do you like hello fresh boxes <laughs> like in the middle you're just like oh god <laughs> it's, yeah. like really jarring right so like, it's worth it for that but um also on there it was like uh you can look at the fbi files that oh. he did freedom of information acts for and stuff like really good and then another one was you can, you can speak to Josh directly. I was like, I won't be doing that again. <laughs> <laughs> Been there, done that. Uh, it didn't go well the first time. Let's not pass us through it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he has heard quite enough from me. Also, like I've got no chill. I just turned into an absolute geek. On Twitter, because obviously his new series has come out, I was like, I don't know why I, ri- I wrote this. I wrote, I love this podcast so much I could vomit. Why did I write that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> and he
1: just replied, "Thank you."
0: Like, what else are you supposed to reply to that too?
1: Also, it's like I like you so much I shit myself. Well, thanks. <laughs> like, what the fuck I was like, Why? TMI. I just don't dude. know what to say. Yeah, I just like him so much. I don't know what to say. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever met someone famous and you just were you cool or?
0: Okay, Talisa. Here's my policy. (laughs) I live in LA. I see famous people occasionally. Yeah. I don't ever say anything. Maybe I'll, like, smile. If they acknowledge me, I'll acknowledge them.
1: But... Why are they acknowledging you? Because you're staring at them.
0: There's some people who, like, know that they're recognizable. So they don't want to be assholes and just, like, look past you. Which I've experienced as well. But... No, I don't say anything. Sometimes if I'm with Will, he'll say something. Like
1: I'm Will. <laughs> say something.
0: <Yeah. laughs> we walk past Bill Nye, the science guy. I don't know if you, He's not very well known in England. He's like no. a huge part of a 90s child's growing up.
1: Oh, okay. He's like Fred Dinage over here. Trust me, he is. I'm not sure who that is. <laughs> okay.
0: But we... Walk past him one time and Will just shouted out, Hey, Bill. And that was it. <laughs> and Bill and I just kept walking. Like he didn't even acknowledge us. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> There's been other times where like we'll walk past someone and Will will go up to them and be like, I really like your work or whatever and like shake their hand wow, and then oh, walk yeah. away, which is nice. But I'm just like, they don't care.
1: You feel the shame so hard. Yes, like, exactly. You feel so much shame. Like I used to feel a bit of shame, but basically I so I'm in love with a musician called Laura Marling, as you well know. Yeah. And um I've I've seen her
0: She is amazing.
1: She's the mo she's an angel sent to this earth. She is like, and my friend Sarah, um, her ex-boyfriend, Boo, hiss. Used to work with Laura Marling. I think he still does now, but we wouldn't know because we hate him. Whatever. But um, whatever. He's dead. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people can't have jobs. So he used to be her tour manager. So I was like, oh my fucking god! Like I have a direct line. Yeah. To my hero. Yeah. And um, Sarah said, oh, yeah, me and Dan like went to her house for dinner. I was like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> shut up. Fuck. Shut up. <laughs> I was like, so what was she like? And Sarah was like, she's like an angel. <laughs> she's, like, she's like, she like glows. <laughs> she just is perfect. I've met her once at a pub in um, Dalston, uh, obviously East London, mm. hipster fucker. Yeah. And um, I met her in this pub and my ex-boyfriend at the time knew that I was, loved her. And he was like, oh my God, that's Laura Marling. And I was like, oh my God oh my god and I had tickets to go and see her at Hammersmith Apollo yeah and I just went up to her didn't plan it and I just went winged it just winged it which is not the attitude you really need a script yeah. <laughs> just yeah. went You needed like an opener but yeah. I just went um I just wanted to say um I really love love you she was like Thanks. <laughs> I was like, and also, I've got, I've got tickets to come and see you uh, in Hammersmith. She was like, that's so great. Thank you. That's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's all it. I've got.
0: <laughs> that's why I don't do it. I feel like they want to get it over as fast as possible and go on with their day.
1: It's not going to be like, be my best friend.
0: Yeah, exactly. We're not going to be friends.
1: That's what I'm dreaming of, though. We yeah. could. We might. <laughs> We were
0: <laughs> I had a really nice interaction with Shirley Manson from Garbage. That's cool. Yeah, it was cool.
1: Was she cool?
0: She was really cool. So it was when I just adopted our dog. This isn't that long ago. Yeah, this is like two years ago. I took him for a walk in Griffith Park and he was really cute, like a really cute puppy.
1: Mm. We were just walking around
0: and I was with my friend. All of a sudden this like tall, beautiful woman with a hat and sunglasses on, she's walking her little dog and she immediately just sees Tito and walks up to him and starts petting him. And she's like, oh, you so cute. Da, da, da. And then I realized who it was. And I was like, uh, like, I couldn't say anything. And, and You're and, so
1: cute. <laughs>
0: <yeah>. <laughs> You're amazing. She was like, Oh, where'd you get him? And I told him I adopted him. He came from the streets, blah, blah, blah. And she was like, Oh, so you're gonna keep him? And I was like, Yeah, because you know, yeah. sometimes people just foster dogs here and then they Yeah. You know, move on to adopt it. I was like, Yeah, we're gonna keep it. She was like, Oh, congratulations. And then she just walked away and it was all because of Tito. And then I go to my friend, and I was well, like winner. Yeah. I was like, Do you know who that was? And my friend was like, No. And I was like, that's Shirley Manson from Garbage. And she was like, oh, okay. Like she hadn't, she didn't know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was like, oh my God. That's annoying. Yeah. <laughs> but she probably chilled the situation out because she was just like, whatever, lady. Right, like, okay. From the park. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: But that yeah. was a really nice interaction.
1: The dog that's was it. a buffer, that's why.
0: Exactly. Thanks, Tito. The dog was a
1: hardcore buffer.
0: And she does have a cute little dog, too, so...
1: What kind of dog has she got?
0: It was like a scrappy little chihuahua mix. Oh,
1: good boy. Yeah, look
0: up her Instagram. She has tons of pictures of him.
1: I definitely will. Um, I love Ozzy and Sharon Osbourne's page because they're obsessed with Pomeranians, oh. <laughs> which are like fucking fluffball, little foxy wolf fucker. Yeah. Oh, so fucking cute. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently oh, this is bad, but, like, Ozzy had a black Pomeranian and it got eaten by a coyote. Oh,
0: oh, no. Have you seen <sighs> those coyote jackets for little dogs? No. They're ridiculous. Was it, like, a
1: bulletproof jacket, but for a coyote?
0: Talisa, I'm going to send it to you. We're going to post it. <laughs> they're, they're the most hilarious looking things.
1: Save a life, though, will it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I think a little Yorkie like models them and it looks so ridiculous it's like something from the 80s futuristic movie. It's like these huge neon spikes so that if a coyote comes at your dog it can't attack it.
1: Good! (laughs) Yeah. Good! They're evil! Whatever it takes!
0: Right. But they do that in LA. Like coyotes are kind of—they're brave. They'll come out and like attack your little dog if
1: they're alone. (laughs) Horrible. What are you drinking? Yeah. Oh God, I've got gin and tonic um, because—well, that's a lie. I've got gin and lemonade because A, I hate tonic, and B, uh, for my birthday, which is now two months ago, I got a liter of gin, and it's so hard to get through because it just tastes like earwax. So (laughs) I'm just like plowing through it. Nobody really likes gin, do they? Unless they're like a hundred years old.
0: I feel like sometimes you have a (sighs) taste for it, or like in a cocktail.
1: If you're hungover as fuck, then you're like, oh, I'll have a gin and tonic because it's like light.
0: It can be refreshing.
1: Yeah, it's okay, actually. I've had a lot worse. Okay, so sorry, I'm a bit out of breath where I've run up the stairs.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Did you get my pictures from... The place we went to.
1: I Do you know S-K. what? I saw the pictures, but I didn't watch the videos because I got them quite late at night and then I've been working today. Um But yeah, tell, tell me about this place.
0: So it's called King Richard's. Ooh! 45 minutes outside of LA. Who'd you go with? I went with my friend Ellen and with my husband, Will. Yeah. <laughs> and it's massive. We didn't even cover the whole store. There was like... Two downstairs, one upstairs. It's such a cool place. That's the
1: thing. In America, you just have space. You have so much stuff. Yeah,
0: it's a huge warehouse full of furniture, antique statues, old movie memorabilia. What was the old
1: Coke machine that you showed me? Was it was that like a working Coke vending machine?
0: Yeah, it was from like 1950. But
1: it still worked? Yeah. Fucking hell, so cool.
0: Yeah, when you come here, then we're definitely going to go. A hundred percent. There was old vintage clothes. There was just really weird machines. There was this this machine called a biorhythm, and we had no idea what it was, <laughs> but you put in your birthday. and That's it, like... a sex
1: thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A hundred percent. It had like
0: a little mini disco ball in it.
1: But that doesn't sound like science.
0: <laughs> no. It was in the kind of theme of like, uh, you know that movie Big where they put the coin in and it's like a fortune teller? I yeah. what it's called.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean.
0: It kind of looked like that.
1: That sounds cool. But cool. But yeah, super cool place. I love vintage stuff. And I always think that people have vintage things for like 40 years and then they get in my possession and then I fucking spill chili down it or yeah. some shit and it's just fucking sweat stained and just lipstick and ruined and i'm like how did you survive this long people like me shouldn't have you (laughs) right i am a destroyer
0: (laughs) i can't have nice things it's because our grandparents cared about their things a little bit more because they didn't know when the next time they were going to get something like that i know
1: i'm an ungrateful little bitch and i ruin everything
0: (laughs) (laughs) We have so many things that are just throwaway five bucks and they were made in China. Yeah, it's true. We just buy it again next week.
1: That's true. And and also sorry. I um yeah, sorry about that. My I, I do feel unbelievably guilty when I worry when I ruin vintage things. Yeah. It hits me in a place that nothing else does. My friend Charlotte was like I said, like, oh you know what? I just said that. I said I ruined vintage stuff. And she was like, that's because you need to dry clean it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. Like <laughs> I don't think I have it. Well, not I don't think. I know. I haven't dry cleaned anything in my adult life ever. Have you? Really? Okay, everyone else has, and I haven't. <laughs> that's what that meant.
0: <laughs> I uh dry cleaned my wedding dress.
1: That doesn't count. <laughs> I'm probably never getting married because I'm never going to be a grown up. So (laughs) that doesn't count. You cheated. (laughs) It's
0: really funny because I'm—I've been like building myself up to go to the dry cleaners this past two weeks. What have you got to take? I have. uh, I don't know if this is. You don't even have
1: winter coats, do you? Surely
0: I do, and that's one thing that I need to dry clean. Okay, but okay, so you know I worked that yoga. clothing saying
1: yeah. yes. with the secret celebrities that you're not allowed to tell me about. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> I got some really expensive like coats and jackets, and okay, they were free, but they were things that were returned. So somebody wore them and returned them. Yeah, so like they had a stain on them <laughs> or whatever. I feel kind of gross wearing these, so I'm going to get them dry cleaned before I officially wear them. Okay,
1: you and me are worlds apart on that stance. I'll wear <laughs> something I've pulled out of a bin. <laughs> no problem.
0: You'll throw it in the wash first. No. no.
1: No. I don't fucking care. Yeah, I'm fucking gross. I don't care about stuff like that. I will okay. eat gone off food. I'll wear other people's stuff. I think it's because I stink. Like I'm quite a stinky person, so I'm just like my own stink can't be worse than yours. <laughs> I
0: understand that mentality, though. Like,
1: <laughs> Are you learning about me?
0: <laughs> I am, and I'm. I'm like turning down my volume now. I'm like, okay, bye, Talissa.
1: <laughs> oh, the connection's going bad. Ah, uh, Okay, can I? I but you. Ad, you, you. Ad, ad, ad. <laughs>
0: Um, no, I understand food, I'm on the same page as you, because I didn't grow up with a lot of money, and we just ate food, even when it was past the sell-by date.
1: Yeah, who do you think you are? Like, what, you think you're fucking better than me? <laughs> right. Because <laughs> you eat a yogurt that's in date? Because <laughs> you didn't get food poisoning? <laughs> you
0: know my crazy godfather that I told you about, that got abducted he by is. aliens? So... <laughs> He would often go to grocery stores and ask them for the food that was past their sell-by date, and he would bring it to like charities and stuff like that, because it was still good.
1: He seems great.
0: But he would bring a lot of it to us, because we had a huge family.
1: Did he say you could only have it if you say you believe in aliens?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No. He rarely brought that up. He was very religious, so... That's something that he would rarely bring up. But anyways, when there's sell by dates, I ignore it. If it doesn't have a smell, if it doesn't look green, if it doesn't stink and it doesn't if it
1: doesn't burn you, then it's fine. (laughs) Yeah. If it's not on fire and (laughs) it's not brown, (laughs) it's fine.
0: And obviously my parents went thrift shopping they went to like goodwill and stuff like that to buy clothes for all of us because it's way cheaper yeah also it's better for the environment people so whatever
1: honestly i look at my childhood and my mom would go into like peacocks which is like um a really cheap shop in england yeah and like i don't know is it like jc pennies what's like the equivalent in america Uh uh, maybe yeah just like a it was just yeah. really cheap and like kids mm-hmm. if they wanted to take the piss out of you at school would be like oh your clothes are from peacocks that's yeah. what they would say yeah. and so my right. my mom would be like or like walmart or something yeah like oh you buy your clothes from i don't know q&s or whatever which is like another right. cheap clothes brand but yeah and so when i was younger i used to be like oh my god Mum, no no please don't make me go in there like i used to be like it was the end of my world if she would make me go into that shop i'd be like do you know what's gonna happen to me at school tomorrow
0: (laughs) right i had the same exact experience we used to go to this shop and it was a thrift store so all like oxfam like yeah 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 and that's where my mom would shop and she loved shopping and I hated it. I hated it you're like, so much. And she's much. like, oh, do you like... i li-? so embarrassed to be <laughs> me there.
1: Me too. You want to die. And they're like, oh, do you like this? And you're yeah. like, no, I don't. Let's go. <laughs>
0: yeah. Fine. Fine. I don't want to try it on. Let's just get <laughs> it and go.
1: This looks like so a Don't put it near me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you're going to catch fucking fleas from
0: it. Right. Yeah.
1: And now I'm like this, oh, my God, let's go in that charity shop. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Let's a dig, thousand percent. Let's dig through the pound bin. Like, it gives me life like, digging through that shit
0: I judge people for buying brand new t-shirts yeah
1: you could get that for cheaper <laughs> like, yeah like when I came to LA a girl in the toilets when we were at Ace Hotel went I really like your dress and I was like oh thanks it was like 10 quid and she was like ew <laughs> like, yeah. like, back away from me <laughs>
0: That's something that you do in the Midwest as well. I talk about this with my friends from Minnesota who are in L.A. It's, like, not a thing to do in L.A. to say, like, oh, I got this for a deal. My clothes were cheap. <laughs> right. Don't do that in L.A. They'll look at you like you just threw a puppy in the river.
1: <laughs> I was like, I didn't come into your house on Christmas Day and piss on your kids. I just told you this right. dress was 10 pounds. <laughs> Yeah, and I was like, oh my god, what's her fucking problem? Yeah. Yeah. Like, what
0: did I say? Yeah. This is a joyful occasion.
1: She should have gone, oh my god, that's so good. That's the reaction that I expect.
0: That's the appropriate reaction. Yeah.
1: Wow, where from? Like, (laughs) That's what I want to hear. Yeah. Anyway, let's call this chapter Growing Up. Anyway,
0: back to murder.
1: Growing Up Poor. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) This week in Growing Up Poor... (laughs)
0: next week we'll talk about
1: shoes (laughs) next week we'll talk about how you can make sanitary products out of toilet roll (laughs) yep in a pinch (laughs) okay (laughs) right so i am first this week i believe okay right (laughs) this week (laughs) today the same day just
0: moving on moving on straight into straight, straight into murder
1: straight up moving on okay so yeah our theme this week is yeah. murders that change laws Ooh. or crimes that change laws so yes. i got this story from a really good bbc program that was called um it was called crimes that change laws and so mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's basically where i got this theme from and uh it like england has such an old judicial system that changing a law is very difficult we have we feel like we've been doing it right for 800 years and nobody needs to come in and change it apart from like the trial by combat thing that we've covered before Um, obviously that got changed because it's just stupid but everything else has pretty much been working for the 800 years that it's been around so
0: The men in wigs were right.
1: They were right. Those stuffy old fuckers with hammers and wigs. Um, <laughs> they were. Okay, so this is the murder of Julie Hogg. You probably, okay. you probably haven't heard of it, but I would go out on a limb and say this is probably the biggest change to English law that's ever been made. Wow. And maybe you can educate me on the American side of things, because there's like a film named after this law. Okay. So in 1989, in the town of Billingham, which is in the northeast of England, it's in County Durham, it was a really small town, and everyone knew everyone. Julie Hogg was married to a man named Andrew, and when she was 22, they broke up, and she decided that she was just going to live on her own with her three-year-old son called Kevin. So to make ends meet, Julie delivered pizzas from a local restaurant and she would leave Kevin with her mum, Anne, to babysit. So on the 16th of November, 1989, Anne was babysitting Kevin and she didn't hear from Julie and then her and Kevin just like fell asleep on the sofa and then she woke up at 7am the next day and she decided to drive to Julie's house to drop Kevin off. Now, like, keep in mind, this is 1989, so there's no mobiles. Mm
0: -hmm. Almost exactly 31 years ago, as well. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so if you call a house phone, like, and someone doesn't answer, you're like, they could be in the shower, the phone could be off the hook. This is, I feel like this fell asleep. Yeah, like, this is hard to explain to people who have mobiles and have never lived with just a landline. But when you've lived with just a landline, there's a various number of reasons why someone will not come to the phone.
0: I kind of miss those days too.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean.
0: Okay, I'm going to be home at seven. Call me at seven. Now it's just like a free for all. Yeah,
1: it really is. And it's like, if you aren't answering your phone in five minutes, you hate me. It's like, do I? (laughs) 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 Or am I just taking a shit? (laughs) (laughs) Or do I just want to shit in peace? (laughs)
0: Exactly. Lately, I've been really bad at texting people back. I just feel really phoned out. Like, I don't want to look at my phone a lot.
1: I totally get it. And I keep having to remind myself of the fact that I'm very, like, I'm an answer quickly type of person. And I'm like, not everyone is like that. And you can't take things from, like, your perspective. From my perspective, I'd be like, oh, well, if that were me, I would answer the phone immediately because I want to talk to them. And it's like, well, they're not you, are they? They're someone else. Yeah. They've got a whole different right. perspective on life. They've got a different situation going on. You don't need right. to hold them to Who your knows standard. What their day has been? Exactly. It's nothing personal.
0: Yeah.
1: But in this day and age, in 1989, there's no such thing <laughs> as get to the phone. Right. It's like if you walk past a phone and it's ringing, you might pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> so she woke up at 7 a.m. the next day and she drove to Julie's house to drop Kevin off. And all the curtains were closed and the door was locked. So she asked Kevin to climb in through a window and come and open the front door for her. Which, again, classic 80s thing to do.
0: (laughs) I did that when I was a kid.
1: You're small (laughs) enough to get through that window. (laughs) That is an 80s attitude. That
0: was one of the worst experiences. (laughs) Like my parents like shoving me through a window that I barely fit through.
1: I've got a really honestly I've got a really bad um fear of confined spaces and I think it might be due to something like this. Oh, probably. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> so anyway, so Kevin went in and he opened the door, and I'm gonna appease your fears. In that time he didn't find anything absolutely horrible. So okay, I know what, I know what you're thinking. <laughs> Stumble onto your mother's corpse. No, he didn't. Yeah. He didn't find anything. So okay. she wasn't in the house. And they tried to find her at a friend's house and they couldn't locate her anywhere. So she was reported missing two days later. And this is because the police were like, she's a grown woman. Yeah. So it was kind of those days where it was like, you need to wait a while and just wait right. out and, see if, hours. Yeah, and just see if she calls you or whatever. Um, so mm. police found out that she was driven home from work by a colleague and then he wasn't heard from since. Sorry. And then she wasn't heard from since. So on the, on the 20th of November, which is four days since she was last seen, forensic forensics went into the house and they didn't find any evidence of foul play. So they suggested that she had just left and started a new life in London where she had connections. However, okay. um, Julie's mum saw her makeup bag on the windowsill and said there was no way that she had left without that makeup bag because she wouldn't even go to the corner shop without her makeup on. And, mm. like, I can really relate to this because a whole makeup bag is expensive. You're not just going to buy a new whole makeup bag of makeup. Right.
0: And especially if you're going to London. Yeah. You're going to have your face on for London.
1: You are. It's a big city. It's like you said, I think, maybe in episode five or something, you said, like, women don't leave the house without their purse. Right. They don't. Like, yeah. you take your fucking handbag. Your life is in that handbag.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Exactly.
1: Five days later, the search was called off. Um, She had recently broken up with her husband, Kevin's father. So police suggested that she was upset and just took off. Weeks I
0: really don't like the police in this story. They cannot
1: be fucked. No. They're just like, what do you want me to do? But I kind of think that police's first port of call now is a mobile phone. And Mm -hmm. in the days without mobile phones, I don't know where the fuck you were. What did you have? Like, honestly, like, I don't know where people were. I remember right. I don't know for example like my bro- like you'd have to ring round you would have to go where are they okay there might be a Debbie's house or there might be a Dave's house like let's give right. Dave a ring and then if Dave thinks yeah. that maybe they were at Donna's house then let's give Donna a ring and go when was the last time you saw them like it is a game of telephone yeah so I kind of I kind of know where they're coming from but also her mom is like, she would not leave her makeup and she would not leave her child.
0: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is that, Like, if, if a mom is coming to you saying, this is my daughter and I know who she yeah, is. Yeah, I know her.
1: She wouldn't just fuck off.
0: You would listen to that.
1: Yeah, you, you'd hope you hope so. Should. Yeah, you'd hope so. Right. So um weeks went by and nothing more was heard. But the papers published a story on Julie's birthday because her mom was quite in with the people that made the paper. So they got... that's good. Yeah, definitely. And they got a really good story out saying that it was like really emotive. It basically said that no relatives would be calling Anne on Julie's birthday so that they would keep the phone lines clear in case Julie rang her. So that was like really heart-wrenching. Yeah. Three months after she disappeared, the family decided that Kevin should live in his old house with his dad. So his dad came back in, into the picture and they said that there was an awful smell in the house. So they put bleach... Oh, no. Yeah, this is not cool. So they put bleach down the toilet, but nothing worked. And so Anne went round to see if she could help clean and get rid of it because it was just like a dad and his son. And she was like, right, I'm going to take charge of this and just get on with it. Yeah. So she went that round did. there and um, she used to work as a surgeon's assistant. So she could smell something and it was coming from the bathroom and she recognised the smell and she's
0: like, that sounds familiar
1: yeah, so she recognised the smell as body decomposition so Aww. she was basically fucking dreading what she was going to find and she leant yeah. over the bath to try and smell the wall and see if she could find out where the smell was coming from and her knees knocked against the bath panel and then the smell became worse So she removed the panel and she saw five foot three Julie was hidden behind it.
0: No. That's devastating. Fucking
1: nightmarish. Been there the whole time. She began screaming and the police were called. The police forensics said that they couldn't find a cause of death because of how badly Julie was decomposed. But they said that the evidence suggested that she had been subject to a serious sexual assault man. I've looked into this because I'm quite interested in forensics. And basically, if you're decomposed, the parts of your body that have trauma will be more decomposed than the parts that haven't.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Yeah, so that's how they know that you've been sexually assaulted because Mm -hmm. your vagina and anus area will be more decomposed because of the damage that happened before you died. Right. It's like an open wound and it's quicker to... To decompose so that's absolutely horrid
0: bruised
1: yeah so that's fucking horrible but it's good that they can still see that even after a while you know they still get clues basically so the police began looking into julie's private life to identify any men that she had been in contact with julie was wrapped in a blanket and the semen found on this DNA match a man that she knew from the local rugby club called Billy Dunlop. So he lived just two streets away from Julie. They searched his house and they found Julie's keys hidden under the floorboards. They were 100% sure that they would get a conviction. So he was arrested on the 13th of February 1990 and he maintained his innocence. And then he was charged with murder on the 16th of February, three days later. So, on the 7th of May 1991, Billy stood trial for the murder in Newcastle Crown Court, and it was put forward by the prosecution that he'd gone to Julie's house that night expecting sex. The defense implied that Julie was promiscuous and that's why her marriage broke down. So, whatever. They basically went on the like, you're a slut defense. Um, oh, man. It's really fucking... So it's your fault. ...fucking cheap and gross. Yeah. Uh, Billy suggested that one of the other men that Julie was having sex with from the rugby club could have murdered her. Yeah, but you live two streets away. Yeah. <laughs> so this led to newspaper headlines such as Julie trial told of three-in-a-bed sex. So what? she got, like, ripped apart in the papers. Aww. Um During the trial, it was told that the keys that had been found were under a brick and wrapped in a blanket under the floorboards in a wardrobe in Billy's house.
0: In his house. Yeah. So. Clearly.
1: Where'd you get those from?
0: Yeah. Why are you hiding them? Right. Why are they all wrapped up and hidden in a wardrobe?
1: Why do you need to hide them in a brick? <laughs> yeah. So they they basically said that he he had her keys and then he hid them so that he could then go back and hide her body once He'd kind of sobered up or whatever. Okay. And the defense implied that the police had planted the evidence. The jury retired 48 hours, but could not come to a conclusion. So a mistrial was announced and a new trial was scheduled. Yep. New trial was scheduled for the 3rd of October, 1991.
0: He must've had good lawyers.
1: Yeah. This is
0: very obviously he did it.
1: Also, I think you underestimate the power in the eighties of calling someone a slag. Like,
0: yeah, that's true. They
1: just was like they were just like she was fucking up for it. Like she was shagging loads of people. Whatever she did, she had it coming because she would open her legs. That's the Whatever. attitude in the nineties. Gross. It is gross and not fair at all. So, no, and no. a new jury heard the evidence at the next trial, and the length of time that Julie was undiscovered meant that the prosecution couldn't define a cause of death. So they couldn't say that she was strangled or... Well, I suppose Mm -hmm. they could have have said blunt force trauma, but it's kind of like goes without saying that she was strangled, but um, they can't define that because she was um, really decomposed. So the defence jumped um, on this and asserted that it was a sex act gone wrong. So he basically used the rough sex defence. And said okay, that but
0: whether it was or wasn't...
1: You still hid the body. You
0: still hid her under the tub and... Fucked
1: off and then didn't say anything.
0: Right. So whether you did... It was sex gone wrong or whatever, you still did this and she's dead.
1: My main thing with sex gone wrong is so call an ambulance. There might be a chance yeah. you could revive them. Right. Yeah. If it genuinely is sex gone wrong, then why are you hiding what happened
0: exactly, but yeah,
1: so and, it, and it's not like this Billy guy was married, or do you know what I mean? He was like a free agent, he just had sex with a woman that he knew.
0: He was the one being a slut,
1: yeah, <laughs> slutty Billy. Um, yeah, so 13 days later, the second jury retri- retired to consider a verdict. And they were called back in after five hours. And they were told if they couldn't come to a verdict, then Billy would be acquitted. Like,
0: Wait, how, like, in England, how long do you have? Like, if a jury can't come to a conclusion in America, it could be days. It could be weeks.
1: It could be days in England as well. So I don't understand why. Right. Why were they
0: coerced into yeah, they making were. a decision there and then? You're
1: completely right. They were coerced yeah so whoever this judge was was a bit of a piece of shit because he basically told them yeah if you can't come to a conclusion then then he's going to be acquitted if you're on a jury and you've got children to get back to and jobs to get back to and a life to get back to then you're going to go all right then i don't know like fuck it acquit him right. so yeah. anyway after 20 months of trials this is what happened he did get acquitted uh, sorry he yeah acquitted He was (laughs) acquitted.
0: He was acquitted. He was
1: acquitted. Yeah. Um, The public, however, of the town didn't believe that. And he was heckled in the street and people told Anne that he had been bragging about getting away with Julie's murder because of double jeopardy law. So he knew that he couldn't be retried even if he confessed. So uh, you have this. I don't know if you have it anymore, but you have it in America where if you're tried for a crime, you can't be tried for the same crime twice. And that is the double jeopardy law.
0: Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So in
1: 1999, this is eight years later, Billy Dunlop was arrested for attempted murder after attempting to kill his ex and her new boyfriend. He confessed to a police officer while he was there being interviewed for that crime that he did kill Julie. He said that he saw Julie's lights on when he was walking home and knocked on her door. He said he was drunk and couldn't perform that night. She started laughing, so he just lost it and killed her. Okay, dude. Toxic masculinity strikes again. (laughs) He then panicked.
0: Get over yourself. Yeah.
1: Um, You've got a floppy dick. It happens to us all. Get over it. (laughs) So he then panicked and hid her body. So even though they couldn't charge him with the murder due to the 800-year-old double jeopardy law they could charge him with perjury. So he pled guilty Mm. to this charge. Anne heard the details of Julie's death and was outraged when the judge only gave Billy six years for perjury. Wow. So she went to the local paper, the Northern Echo, and asked them to start a campaign to change the law. She went to her local MP, which is a member of parliament, Frank Cook, and asked him to give her a letter... Sorry, asked him to give her letters to Jack Straw, who was the Home Secretary. And the Home Secretary is the person that deals with law, prisons, um, things of that nature. And um, okay. Anne travelled to London to meet Jack Straw and discuss the case. She wanted to make sure the law was retroactive, which was not normal protocol. So if a law gets changed in England, it's changed from this moment forward. It's not changed... Mm in regards to every other person that did that crime before, because obviously that just opens the floodgates. um, Yeah. And you'll have hundreds of prisoners go free. So basically she, but she needed it to be retroactive or the law change would not affect her daughter's case. So in July, 2002, there was a new home secretary, David Bunkett, who by the by was blind and he would have like braille, speeches printed out and stuff Mm -hmm. it was really cool like he was fully blind and he was just had a massive role in government
0: that is cool the home secretary
1: is no small role it is huge so he proposed a white paper which is basically like um a really in-depth study and proposal which meant victims rights were more important than the perpetrator's and that the double jeopardy law should be retrospective. Anne was invited to speak in front of the House of Lords after she strong-armed Lord Faulkner and told him her story. She stood in the House of Lords and read out her statement as to why she should get justice for her daughter. After 13 years of fighting, and finally got the bill passed into law through the House of Lords. So basically, in England, there's a, a law and... It's in the House of Commons and then they all vote whether they think it should become law and then they vote and then it goes to the House of Lords and then they vote and mm-hmm. then it becomes law. So yes, these recommendations were implemented within the Criminal Justice Act of 2003 and this provision came into force in April 2005 and it opened, it opened certain serious crimes including murder, manslaughter, kidnapping, rape, armed robbery and serious drug crimes to a retrial. Billy could now be retrialed, but under strict laws. And these laws were, first, that the rule has only been reformed for the most serious crimes, such as murder and rape. A person cannot face a second trial after being acquitted of shoplifting, no matter how strong the new evidence. For crimes which do fall within these laws, the Director of Public Prosecutions must personally consent to an investigation being reopened. The DPP will consider not only the strength of the evidence, but also whether reopening the case is in the public interest. So the investigation can only lead to a fresh prosecution if the new and compelling evidence is uncovered. To be new, it must have not been available for the original prosecution. And compelling means it's very strong, so that conviction is highly possible. And finally, Mm. there can only be one retrial. So if the defendant is acquitted again... They cannot be prosecuted for that crime in the future, even if more evidence emerges.
0: Wow, that's dramatic.
1: So it's not like an endless chain of, I think you still did it. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, we've got some good evidence, and we're going to try you again for murder. Yeah. Um. In October 2006, nearly 17 years since the crime was committed, Billy was charged with the murder of Julie, and he confessed in court. He was the first person to be tried under the new double jeopardy law, and he was sentenced to life with a minimum tariff of 17 years.
0: You, sir, may fuck off. You, sir.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You, sir, may fuck off 17 years. Yeah. So that is the story of Julie Hogg and the double jeopardy law.
0: I'm glad that he got put away, and what a dick, and
1: it's fucking outrageous that you can go to a yes. policeman oh by the way you know that crime that i said he didn't do well i did do it ha. ha, ha. yeah like of course you should go to present everyone you fuck right. face <laughs> 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 yeah it's i mean i can't like everyone was like oh you know this woman she was from she was just from the north and she went to london and she uh spoke in front of all these lords and it's like what she's saying makes perfect sense. It's not like she's got a random idea that she thinks is a good idea. Like, what she's saying is, if you fucking killed someone, you should go to prison for it. No matter if you were found innocent and then you admitted you did it, you should still go to prison. Like, it just makes perfect sense.
0: Yeah. Sorry she wasn't an old man in a wig.
1: Yeah. She wasn't a fucking lord of shitshire. Like... (laughs)
0: That's crazy that it took that long. I wonder how many other cases have come up since then that have tried to um, get someone like re uh,
1: convicted. Well, interestingly, because there's—I mean, I found it on Daily Motion because it's not on BBC iPlayer anymore. But um, yeah, they have all the there's the there's like a three-part series that's like laws that change, like crimes that change British law. One of them was like um, something about DNA, and one of them was Double Jeopardy, and one of them was, I can't remember, but yeah, they basically, at the end of it, they had a list of all the crimes that got retried because of Double Jeopardy, and there were loads. Wow. Yeah, there was like five or six high profile ones.
0: Well, that's good. I'm glad. That was a really good story.
1: Thanks, mate. Good job. Thanks, pal. Yeah. Have you seen the film Double Jeopardy?
0: I believe so a long time ago. I think it's a good movie. Uh,
1: do you know what? It's it's kind of cheesy because like... Yes,
0: it is. Obviously, it's
1: based around this weird fucking loophole law. But yeah, it's, basi- it's yeah. basically like a guy goes to prison for killing... I really hope it isn't his wife, but it might be his wife. <laughs> or it might be someone. Hold on, let me
0: look it up. Yeah, look it up. Let me look it up.
1: What's the plot? But like, yeah, it's like, so the plot is, a guy gets dumb for a crime that he didn't do, and it's a guy that he hates, and then like, he gets out of prison and they kills him and he's like, ha ha, you can't do anything. Like, I think that's the yeah. film. But I think...
0: Oh, okay, here, here it is. Okay. You were pretty wrong.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> oh no, I hate that.
0: <laughs> the film is about a woman wrongfully imprisoned for murder who, while eluding her parole officer, tracks down her husband who had framed her.
1: Oh, well.
0: So the husband couldn't get convicted or something like that because it would have been double jeopardy. I don't know. That's the story.
1: Well, I suspect that double jeopardy is like, still the case in some states but not the case in others because america you like to do whatever you want depending on what state you live in (laughs) which is bad
0: states are bigger than the whole country of england i know
1: but come on there's strength in unity yeah like (laughs) there's strength in unity when it comes to i agree um when it comes to big things
0: that's why we have federal laws. Yeah. And then state laws. That's
1: true. And I guess, like, it kind of does give you a choice. Like, if you really like gardens, go live in Texas.
0: Yeah, or if you want to smoke weed.
1: If you love weed, live in California. Yeah, it, it gives you choice. Like, I'll give you that. <laughs> if you really like marrying loads of people, live in Utah.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Me and my friends were talking about that this weekend, about how more... So every state during this election year every state that had marijuana on their bill to like vote for got it passed really So like new jersey montana um i can't remember the other states there were a couple of states but every one of them that had it got it passed so it's only a matter of time before it's nationwide yeah exactly more and more states are going to pass it and it's going to be a federal thing rather than a state thing.
1: Yeah. Like, I have to say, I'm not really a fan of the old devil's lettuce. And uh, <laughs> and when I was a kid, or like a teenager or whatever, and everyone would be like, oh, let's make some weed. I'd be like, mm- like eh. like it was never really like it just gave me a fucking headache like it was never really a big thing yeah and then when i came to california and smoked weed there what a revelation like it's actually yes. a drug that does something <laughs> it's helpful it's it, is, it helps helpful. me it doesn't just give me a headache <laughs> yeah right
0: and i've done it in england before like a long time ago and it's the same in states where it's not legal yet yeah, it's, it's like, like whatever you can sick. get that's what you end up smoking i feel sick and sad so you have no idea what's in it oh. <laughs> yeah i'm really paranoid right now yeah, no, i'm
1: gonna throw up but, <laughs>
0: no, right but now like there's so many different kinds and i know what i can handle and i know what i can't handle so it's very i can make a decision
1: an informed decision
0: exactly yeah
1: go to california smoke weed every day <laughs>
0: and now New Jersey and Montana
1: (laughs) and now in New Jersey
0: (laughs) (laughs) all right should I get into my story
1: I yeah I'm super excited
0: okay I am not going to read the title of it because you'll know what it is straight away (gasps) oh okay so you might guess it throughout the story all right okay on March 2nd 1963, an 18-year-old woman from Phoenix, Arizona came to the police to report that she had been abducted and raped in the desert. Her brother was witness to the kidnapping and was able to identify the partial license plate and the make of the car that the 18-year-old was taken in. When the police ran the plates, they were matched with a man named Ernesto Miranda. So, some history on Ernesto.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: At the time of the alleged kidnap and rape, Ernesto was already notorious in the area for being a peeping Tom. He was born in 1940 in Mesa, Arizona, to a Mexican immigrant father. His mother died when he was six years old, and his father remarried within the year of her death. They didn't say how she died, but a Mm. little strange that he married so quickly. Suspish. Yeah. Ernesto did not get along with either parents and soon became estranged from his whole family, including his siblings. As a teenager, he was arrested by the time he was 14. He was sent to reform school, and upon release, a year later, he got in trouble with the law again and then returned to reform school. So he was going back and forth. Not that good at escaping. No. Try harder. Yeah. Upon release the second time, he moved to Los Angeles, where, within a few short months, he was arrested on suspicion of armed robbery and several sex offenses. No! I know. What an idiot.
1: Stop! Keep it in your pants.
0: He was in custody for two and a half years, and then he was extradited back to Arizona, where he drifted around the Southwest for several months... Committing crimes and spending time in and out of different jails in different states. He was in Ohio. He was in Texas. He stole cars. He had sexual offenses. I always
1: think at at that time as well, there's no like internet history. So, I mean, what year was this?
0: It was the 60s. Yeah. So, early 60s. You're writing
1: shit down on paper. State to state, no one's fucking yeah. looking at anything. Like, you're a new person. Well,
0: that's, that's exactly how Ted Bundy got away with it. Remember, he yeah. like, escaped and then went to Florida... You just crossed state lines. Stole some guy's ID? Yeah. Exactly. They had no idea.
1: It is a playground for criminals.
0: <laughs> America. Right. You could completely take advantage
1: of it. And people do. Yeah. Yeah. By
0: 1963, the year of the incident... 22-year-old Ernesto had found work back in Phoenix, Arizona where he was living with a single mother and her children. So that was his new girlfriend.
1: Praying on the rubble.
0: But I was reading a lot about this guy Ernesto and there's a lot of different accounts about him and some of them are very different from each other. Okay. So I should mention that in some ways he was written about where he was Always trying to be a good—he was trying to like not get in trouble with the law, and he was always, but he always like fell back into it. Okay. And so when he was living with this woman and her children, he was trying to support them, and he was, you know, he was being a good good guy. Yeah. Yeah, trying to.
1: So, what do you think is true?
0: Um, I'll read the rest of it, and then
1: (laughs) maybe we can all decide.
0: Yeah. I think the end of it will be pretty clear. Okay. But I just think the fact that he was kind of everywhere he went, it was like he was a peeping Tom. I feel like that's something that you could very easily stop yourself from doing. Yeah, I mean,
1: red flag Ville. Yeah. USA. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stop looking through people's fucking windows. Right. Yeah. Just go home. Yeah. Have a, have a tug. So
0: one th- <laughs> <laughs> Again,
1: go. To so the privacy of many your own problems home. <laughs> are solved in the privacy of your own home with a bit of Vaseline and a bit of self belief. <laughs> Just keep it Just to yourself. <laughs> yes. Yes. So
0: once police had matched Ernesto with the plates, they caught up with him 10 days after the uh, report of the incident. He went with police voluntarily where he participated in a lineup. The victim could not identify any of the lineup men. At this time, Ernesto was, according to police, a person of interest and not the main suspect or formally in custody. However, when he asked police how he did in the lineup, they told him that he was implicated in the crime. They were just like, oh, you didn't do very well. Yeah.
1: Well, you ask it? I'm sure no one else asked.
0: Yeah. You must be the only guy. (laughs) Well, by that point, he's dealt with the law for the past 10 years or so. So he's probably like, how'd it go? You know?
1: (laughs) And you expect them to tell you the truth?
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. They then took him into the interrogation room and they interrogated him for the next two hours. And what happened during that time has been disputed, but according to police, he confessed to the crime. He was without a lawyer and he had not been read his rights. He was then taken into the room where the victim was, where he said, that's the girl. And then the victim identified him through voice recognition. No. So she couldn't identify his face, but through his voice. Don't put
1: him near her.
0: Yeah. There were quite a few articles that I read about the police, the Phoenix police department that were not
1: positive,
0: written in a good light about them.
1: <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. Fucking hell. Fucking C.E. a pants attitude to this investigation, is what I would say.
0: I know. So Ernesto was taken to make a written confession, which was very short and on some accounts differed from what the victim had reported. At the top of his confession was printed in type. So he didn't write this. It was just a piece of paper with this written at the top.
1: So somebody typed it with a typewriter or somebody wrote it for him?
0: Somebody wrote it with a typewriter. Like it was a copy of a piece of paper that they probably hand to anyone who writes a confession. Yeah. So at the top it said, this statement has been made voluntarily and of my own free will With no threats, coercion, or promises of immunity, and with full knowledge of my legal rights, understanding any statement I make can and will be used against me.
1: That seems kind of unnecessarily thorough. (laughs) (laughs) Why would you need to say that stuff? (laughs) Why would you need to? Well,
0: you'll find out. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) However, again, nobody had said it verbally to Ernesto, uh, and he had not been read his rights to a lawyer or that he had not been given the option to remain silent either. Uh, so nobody knows what happened in the interrogation room and his written confession didn't match up with what actually happened and he wasn't read his rights or given a lawyer present I, in the room. I
1: feel like that's the, a tale as old as time. Mm-hmm. Police... In a this fucking country, yes. underhand to get the. Well, in the um in the program that I watched, one of which was the double jeopardy law. The first one was about DNA. The second one was about double jeopardy, and the third one, now I remember, was about confessions and about how mm. the police get confessions from you. Yeah. So it's kind of a big thing. Very
0: tricky. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think everyone likes to think that they would hold up under interrogation and they'd just be like no I didn't do it no I didn't do it like if you didn't do something you think you would constantly be able to say that but actually some people's IQ is low some people's resistance is low some people
0: some people are terrified yeah some
1: people are shit scared like some people are being beaten right yeah there's a thousand reasons as to why you wouldn't be able to hold up well under torture
0: yeah which and it is it is
1: torture Taking sleep away from you, making you hungry, making you thirsty, making you tired and scared. All of that is torture.
0: Exactly. So, Ernesto was quickly taken to trial in June 1963, uh, only a couple of months after the actual uh, reported incident. That's quick. Yeah, exactly. Super quick. He was appointed a lawyer.
1: The lawyer, Alvin Moore... (laughs) Fucking dipshit, was he?
0: (laughs) He was 73 years old <laughs> and was paid a grand total of $100 to represent Ernesto. And
1: oh, what amount of time? <laughs> the whole time? I don't know, but... I will give you three Werther's mints <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and some buttons. I will give you a shot of whiskey and three sticks of chalk. <laughs>
0: So Alvin Moore, his lawyer, did not bring any witnesses to the stand. Oh, I feel like that's a running theme with a lot of the stories that I tell. (laughs) He didn't bring any witnesses to the stand, and the evidence they had was circumstantial. So the plates that they had supposedly seen on the car was only partial plates. Mm -hmm.
1: Also, it's the 60s. You are relying on people's word.
0: Yes. The evidence they had was circumstantial. The victim, however, had taken a stand and gave her testimony, which proved to be very powerful to the jury. She was very quiet and affected by what had happened. Okay. So, obviously, the jury were very uh, affected by her testimony. hmm Ernesto was convicted solely on his confession, his written confession, and although his lawyer argued that the confession was coerced and not voluntary, so it should be excluded... The judge overruled it, and the jury, after five hours, gave Ernesto a unanimous guilty verdict. He was sentenced to 20 to 30 years in Arizona State Prison.
1: I th- really thought he was going to get death. Uh,
0: well, he didn't kill anyone.
1: Yeah, but that doesn't matter, Not does that it?
0: That's like... like... In America, they fucking <laughs> love
1: it. Like They fucking they are giving that thing out like disco guns.
0: Only if there's murder. And I don't think that they do it for rape.
1: Yeah, to be fair, like in England, even if you rape someone, you get fuck all. And that's if you even get convicted. So.
0: Right. Okay. So he is in Arizona state prison. Six months into his sentence, Ernesto's lawyer, Alvin Moore, filed an appeal with the Arizona Supreme Court. In the appeal, he claimed that Ernesto was not given his rights to an attorney before he was coerced into a confession. The appeal was denied and Ernesto remained in prison for the next three years. Until Robert J. Corcoran, an attorney with the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, came across Ernesto's case. Corcoran reached out to Alvin Moore, Ernesto's lawyer, and he urged him to take up the case again. By which Moore replied that he was too tired and didn't have the energy or the money to fight
1: it. Fucking hell! (laughs) Does that hold up in a court of law? (laughs) Right. Um, Can't be bothered? What do I file that under? (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell!
0: (laughs) I know, I feel like he was on the brink of retirement, probably, and he was just checked out by the time he got this case anyway. He might
1: as well have just gone, um, okay, if you want to take down my reply... Um, give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have you got that? I'm sorry, I'm gonna go take a nap. <laughs> um, I really want to listen to you, but I am tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you might as well have farted in response to that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what a joke? I know. So Corcoran began reaching out to the attorney uh, to other attorneys in Arizona to plead Ernesto's case. He eventually passed the case to John J. Flynn, who agreed to fight for Ernesto pro bono.
1: Well, thank God someone could be bothered. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus! You might as well have stabbed him to death yourself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Talisa, are you? Th- I think you're psychic. Like you know <laughs> oh, what's happening in
1: the story. On. What's gonna happen?
0: Okay. In November 1965, the U.S. Supreme Court agreed to hear Ernesto's case, Miranda v. Arizona, along with three other similar cases. Attorney John J. Flynn submitted to the court that Ernesto's right to counsel had been violated by the Phoenix Police Department, and he had not been advised of the right to remain silent. He argued that an emotionally disturbed man such as Ernesto with a limited education, should not be expected to know his rights. The opposing argument from the Arizona State Representing Attorney was that forcing police to advise people of their rights would obstruct public safety. Would it? And that the government did not... (laughs) I don't know that it would. I know. I don't know that it would. Like, do your job. Yeah, I don't know that it would. Uh, and that the government did not have the resources to appoint a lawyer for everyone who had been implicated in a crime. That's not true. The government has a lot of money. They
1: have loads. In our government, they started making 50p's to say that we had left the European Union. We hadn't left the European Union, and all those 50p's had to be melted. So don't come at me telling me that you don't have any money. (laughs) you fucking liar
0: spending money on this kind of thing (laughs) when you could be spending it on better lawyers you
1: are a liar so fuck you idea yeah exactly yeah
0: so in june of 1966 which was about so they they started the argument in november 1965 and then in june 1966 the supreme court decided in a five to four ruling in favor of Ernesto's case. It was a very close ruling. Yes! Saying that every person in custody must, prior to interrogation, be clearly informed that he has the right to remain silent and that anything he says will be used against him in court. I am- must clearly be informed.
1: That monkey that you are, I am like the white (laughs) monkey that goes, what, of course. Duh! obviously yeah why did that have to go to the supreme court uh i know and can you imagine
0: this is the 60s yeah how many uh
1: underprivileged
0: people were arrested yeah for just not giving their rights (gasps) we already know we know
1: also can i just say if i'm ever arrested no comment to every fucking question, what's your name? No comment, and right. that will remain my party line because people are like, yeah. "Oh, you know, if you just tell the truth." No, 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 no. Police, no comment. I don't even need a lawyer because you're getting me a brief from the government that will go to me. I tell you what, just say nothing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I could be a lawyer. You go in there and you say, say nothing. That is their job. Like, what stupid idiot talks to the police? No, never. No, Always no comment. I
0: don't know, but at the same time, it's like, if you are innocent, then you feel like you have nothing to hide. And also, some people are taught to respect the law. Yeah. So if you're being a respectful, innocent person, then you're going to be like, No, I didn't do that. You you know, you're going to say you're going to possibly fight your case. Yeah, I
1: I totally get that. And if you're the person that's been murdered's best friend and you're a woman or your mum has been murdered and you're their daughter, then you can talk. But if you're anyone else, it's pretty much no comment.
0: Right. The police
1: wouldn't be talking to you in an interview room if you weren't a suspect of some sort. If you aren't a suspect, they'll be talking to you in your house or in the bit of the police station that looks like a living room or in your house. Yeah. Everything else. If you're in a fucking room with uh, two police officers and a tape recorder, you're fucked. Say nothing. Yeah.
0: And don't take a polygraph test. Never. Yeah. Okay. Let's get back to the story. Sorry. There's a little bit more. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's okay. Uh... Anything he says will be used against him in court. He must clearly be informed that he has the right to consult with a lawyer and to have the lawyer with him during interrogation and that if he is indignant, a lawyer will be appointed to represent him. I don't know if I wrote that right, but if a person doesn't have money, then a lawyer will be appointed to them. Yeah. Police departments around the country were informed ...that they must give the Miranda warning to every criminal suspect in police custody. Police officers everywhere were given the card that read, You have the right to remain silent. Mm-hmm. Anything you can say will be used against you in the court. You have the right to talk to a lawyer for advice before we ask you any questions. You have the right to have a lawyer with you during questioning. If you cannot afford a lawyer, one will be appointed for you before any questioning if you wish." If you decide to answer questions now without a lawyer present, you have the right to stop answering at any time.
1: I feel like that is not said or even understood fully at every questioning. If we ask you anything even now, you can say, fuck off. I don't think people get that.
0: Yeah. And uh, an officer has to tell you why they're arresting you. Yeah. You can't just be like, all right, you're coming with me.
1: Yeah, okay. War 4. yeah.
0: Right. So it's good to know the law if, if a cop comes <laughs> up to you. It is good
1: to like, know. Hey,
0: <laughs> I've seen so many videos lately where a police officer comes up to uh, some guy who's skateboarding or whatever and is like, hey, you can't do this here. And then the skateboarder is like, where does the law say that? And you could tell that a lot of police officers – Will be like, oh, so you know the law, and I don't. Oh
1: if, no! If,
0: if you weren't confident in your knowledge of the law, then you'd be like, oh yeah, you're right. I, I'll listen to you and I'll leave. Mm. But this one specific one that I'm thinking of is like, this skateboarder was like, well, actually, according to Act Two Five Three in the Long Beach law. We can be here and you can, and the the police yeah. officer is like, okay, bye.
1: <laughs> like Okay, bye then. Please don't, please don't put this on YouTube. Bye. So
0: <laughs> Right. <laughs> okay, so back to Ernesto Miranda. His story was not over, however. While his conviction was overturned by the Supreme Court, there was public outcry on the release of a confessed rapist. Ernesto was retried that same year in October 1966. At his second trial, his confession was not used. However, he was still convicted based on the testimony given by his ex-girlfriend. Her story was this. She had gone to visit him in the county jail. During their talk, he said he had kidnapped and raped an 18-year-old girl and then asked his girlfriend to pay a visit to the 18-year-old's family and convey his promise to marry the victim if she dropped the charges against him. Of course, he added, he'd go back to his girlfriend later. He just needed to do this to stay out of jail.
1: If you could see <laughs> my face. Oh, yes. this is talking about the fucking thing on Twitter earlier where, like, oh, okay, if you would um, upkeep my honor then I guess I can forgive right. you for being an utter piece of shit. Yeah. My honor matters more than my soul or my well-being. It matters more that right. you would marry me to make me right. look decent. Please marry me. For you raping me. Right. Don't get me side.
0: <laughs> Toxic masculinity.
1: Ruins the party again.
0: <laughs> yes. So this time, after only an hour and 23 minutes, a four-man and eight-woman jury deliberation, uh, Ernesto was sentenced again to 20 to 30 years in prison. Good. Yeah. In prison, he was somewhat of a celebrity, giving advice to other inmates, telling his story, and giving out autographs, often making money by selling signed Miranda warning cards.
1: Oh, dick.
0: I mean, it was named after him.
1: Yeah, that's only just clicked, <laughs> like, even though you've said it about yeah. 45 times. What? <laughs> like, oh, oh, that's a Miranda right. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. I just got it out. It took a while. Yeah, it took a while.
0: <laughs> so he remained in jail until he was paroled in 1972, where he shortly thereafter violated his parole with possession of a gun of and course. was sent back to prison.
1: Of course. Of <laughs> course.
0: A- Upon release a year later, Ernesto Miranda spent most of his time in cheap motels and bars in the Phoenix area. One night after an intense poker game in the <laughs> La La Amapola bar in Phoenix. I don't know if I said that right. I'm sure you did. He was in a bar playing poker yeah Uh, Ernesto was stabbed to death at the age of 34 in the bar toilet oh dear the stabbing suspect was read his Miranda rights upon his arrest (laughs) but was later released when he absconded to Mexico and Ernesto's murder case was closed and that is the story of Ernesto Miranda and the introduction of the Miranda rights that is
1: crazy that's the guy that they mean
0: yeah, but i it just kind of sucks that they named it after him.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's a rapist piece of shit. Why not
0: name it after the Supreme Court judge or... Well... Someone who deserves something being named after them, yeah. not a convicted rapist.
1: Yeah, I totally get that. Um, but that's very fucking interesting to find out like how that mm, came around. Yeah. And, and And all through the story, I was like well, yeah, of course that should happen. And it's like, no, not until it went horribly wrong and then they had to put a rule in.
0: (laughs) Exactly.
1: Yeah. And and that's like, people are like, oh my God, health and safety has gone mad. Well, no, actually, because someone got the face ripped off because no one bothered to put something in place so that it didn't. So like, it was all okay until it wasn't okay. And then we had to do the thing to make everything okay.
0: Yeah, it's the same. I saw the same kind of thing, but it was like, oh, everyone's too politically correct now. And it's like, no, what was happening before was wrong. What you were saying before was wrong. It was really horrible. So maybe now you're just being called out for saying shitty things. Yeah, maybe
1: you're just being called out on shit and you don't like that. Because yeah. it means you have to think right. before you open your big fucking pie hole. <laughs> yeah. You have
0: to think about your morals yeah
1: um yeah that was great and it's like yeah. never once occurred to me and as a true crime fan i hear the term miranda rights nearly every day so i really <laughs> should know what that is <laughs> i swear to you i hear it nearly every day
0: even if you watch Fictional things like Law and Order. Yeah. You hear it in every single episode. I know exactly what it
1: is. I know exactly what it means. Uh, Yeah.
0: Yep. You can recite it.
1: Yep. I can pretty much recite it. Yeah. Also, I listened to Small Town Murder, as you know, and one of the guys who was um, getting convicted this week tried to say that he wasn't read his Miranda rights. And it's because the officer was like, you have the right to remain silent. And then the guy who was being read them started repeating them back to him, going, but anything you use may be used in a blah, blah, blah. And the guy was like, yeah, yeah, oh that's what God. I was going to say. And then, and then he was like, so he didn't technically read me my Miranda writes. And the judge was like, you knew them so well from being in prison yeah. that you could repeat them without even being told them first. So... No, that does you not even count. You don't need them. <laughs> yeah, does not count as right. you not being Regimaranerite.
0: <laughs> I thought you were going to say, and this is probably just as immature, but, like, he plugged his ears and went, la, 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 la.
1: No, I mean, that's a reasonable, like, assumption as to what some cunt would do. But no, this guy, was, right. this guy stopped him <laughs> and read them back to him and then was like, he didn't technically read them to me. <laughs> so good. <laughs>
0: you're yeah.
1: an idiot. If you don't listen to Small Town Murder, then fucking do so. It is great. It's
0: great. Yeah, it's so funny. My friend
1: Jenny was like, it's a bit like bro. Like, it's a bit like bro humor. But... um Yeah. They've, they've actually said that they have a massive lesbian following, which I am yeah. so into. <laughs> and I totally get why.
0: <laughs> they set up the fact that they are kind of bros when they're like... We are assholes, but we're not scumbags. Yeah. And I like that. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to be dicks about it, but we're not. We disgusting. know the line. We're not going to make fun of. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Like, they remind me of my brothers. Because, like, right. they're assholes, but they're not scumbags. <laughs> <laughs> and that is exactly, exactly. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely listen to that if you get chance. And um, I think me and you are spent, aren't we? We've done bloody well. Yeah. We've spoken for nearly four yeah. hours. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my, gosh. Rachel! I like you, but this is a lot. This is enough. I mean, it's quite enough. Um, but yeah, mate.
0: So because we've recorded two in one day, if we've missed mentioning any major news in our podcast, anything that's relevant in the next couple, and you're of thinking, minutes, why the
1: fuck aren't they covering that? Oh God! I know what I have to mention fucking yorkshire ripper died
0: yes i was waiting for you to say something
1: thank god. <laughs> thank god i mentioned that um also my friend james was like just sending you uh just sending you this news story even though i know you probably woke up at three in the morning with your spidey senses tingling but a serial killer had <laughs> died <laughs> i was like fuck you know me well <laughs> <laughs> um and i did wake up at four in the morning which is really weird i'm not sure when he died really- but um he died of covid so that's something we can thank covid for yes he and also my friend nathan was like you should do a special on the yorkshire ripper because he doesn't know how many people in america know about the yorkshire ripper
0: that is true maybe we should do like very famous cases Maybe you know of an American one that maybe British people don't know very well about.
1: I think Israel Keys. I'm obsessed. Okay, I'm obsessed. Yeah. Is there an English person? I tell you what. So we'll, we can like choose each other's. So you do yeah. Israel Keys, and what should I do?
0: Well, you should do the Yorkshire Ripper because I think your friend is right about yeah. how not many, uh, like we know about the Jack the Ripper, yeah, but not the Yorkshire Ripper.
1: Okay. Very well. Let's schedule that shit in all
0: right good stuff We're doing it
1: yeah okay cool. all right then lovely i will speak to you next week
0: okay have a great weekend <laughs> and thanks for listening bye Bye. thanks for listening to transatlantic crime this week if you liked what you heard please rate review and
1: subscribe and if you'd like to follow us on social media you can find us on twitter at transat crime pod instagram at Transatlantic Crime and on Facebook with Transatlantic Crime Podcast.
0: Thanks. Bye. (laughs)